Welcome to Real Estate Real World, where we talk to the movers, shakers, and leaders that are getting it done right now in the real estate industry and beyond. Your host is Marguerite Crispillo, and she started this podcast simply to talk to cool people about what's really happening in this crazy roller coaster ride of real estate. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and stay up to date on the newest stuff by adding yourself to the list at www.realestaterealworld.com. Com. Now your host, Marguerite Crispillo. Hello, everybody. It's Marguerite Crispillo here today on Real Estate Real World. And I have to tell you that I think that social media is such a great way to connect. And I have made some just really great connections, great friends, met some super cool people, via social media, via primarily Facebook for me and some others. And this guy is no doubt one of the best ones I've met so far. Bill Crane has been delivering powerful corporate keynote speeches, teaching, training, coaching, consulting, and helping corporate executives, salesmen and women, entrepreneurs, business owners, and real estate professionals generate more leads and close more sales in less time than they ever thought possible. That was a mouthful. Enabling them to realize their dreams and exceed financial objectives for over 20 years. The techniques that Bill transfers to his students enable them to bypass all of the difficulties that normally defeat over 94% of the people out there. And I have to tell you, these teachings really empower people to climb up that corporate ladder or, you know, some situations just leave those jobs behind and build businesses that allow them to be truly independent and doing what they love spending their newfound extra free time with the people that they care about most, having the money they need to take care of their families and retire at an early age and live life on their own terms without compromise. Bill was raised by a single mom, just like me, who did the best she could with the card life belter, gave Bill three lifetimes of experience by age 30. I think I can relate to that one. Thrust into direct sales as a child at the tender age of five, now, I'm going to want to hear about that, Bill, for sure. Combined with work ethic created by a mother who never allowed him to miss a single day of school ever. Wow. Created a monster. <laughs> okay, not really. It created a family man with vast knowledge and experience in the arts of persuasion and attraction, otherwise known as sales and marketing. Experience he used to build wealth and retire at an early age. He has done a ton of stuff. The lifetime of experience has enabled Bill to create simple, proven, transferable, profit-building, success, and wealth creation systems that enable you to generate hot new leads where none existed without an advertising budget. Pretty cool. So he has tons of information, 10 to 20-year, helping people eliminate 10 to 20-year learning curves for students, and you're going to learn a lot of great stuff today. So welcome to the show, Bill. Thank you so much for having me, Marguerite. Um, I'm watching your show for a while now, and I know we tried to connect previously, but our schedules didn't mesh. So I'm finally, uh, finally, I'm in, in excited to uh, help some of your followers, some of your audience, to take things to the next level. Thank you so much. So, okay, I'm going to go all the way back here. I want to hear about how you are entrepreneur five years old. <laughs> yeah, well, like I said, I was uh, raised by a single mother, and the one thing that she didn't want to accept is is poverty, not, not being able to give her children the things that everyone else had, right? So although she wasn't necessarily entrepreneurial herself, she did what limited things she could do to help us to be able to go on vacation, be able to go to, you know, a baseball game, whatever. And because she worked all the time, you know, and, and she was limited, right, because she, she had a job. She didn't own a company or, or anything like that. So she collected a paycheck. So she came up with ideas on how myself and then a few years later, my brother got older, my, we both could work together and help make money 
to not only support the family, but to help us do those extra things that really there was no way as a single mother she could afford. So right. the, the first, my, my first uh, recollection is, you know, we wanted to go on a family vacation, but really she only had enough cash to basically get us there. But she said, we're going to Florida. Um, but she didn't really have money for us to do anything. So when uh, we we got to some truck stop somewhere and she saw like these huge pine cones on the ground, it actually, even before that, she, she had us do what you might, used to be called panhandling. I don't know if they just call it begging now or what, but you know, when, when people come up to you and they just ask for money or whatever. Oh, yeah. She, and kids are the best, right? They pull their heartstrings. Exactly. And, but, you know, people, yeah, they would get, but sometimes they didn't or whatever. So she, she thought, you know, what if we could sell them something? So she, she just happened to see this truck stop that had, like, these huge, massive pine trees with these pine cones. So, like, I mean, these things were, like, a foot tall. It was, like, ridiculous. I don't even know if they, <laughs> they make those anymore. But she says, you know, let's just pick these up off the ground. We threw like a hundred of these pine cones like in the trunk, and then she says, "Just go up to people and when they're pumping their gas or whatever, and you know, sell them to them, you know." And 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 this is, you know, obviously I'm 45 now, so the story is probably a little different. But the bottom line is, she's like, right. go, up, "Go up to those guys and tell them to give you five bucks for a pine cone," and I didn't know any better, right? I mean, right. I didn't know that it wasn't normal. And so we just did it. So we would take the pine cones, go up to people, ask them to fire for $5, and nine times out of ten, someone would be like, oh, yeah, great, you know, and we just picked them off, up off the ground. So then after that, you know, that, that worked, right? So we, we, we went from truck stop to truck stop, filling up the tank with gas as we went down to Florida and back, and then she thought, wow, you know, that's kind of interesting. So um, I can get my kids to sell stuff. And so she then took that to the next level. So, like, instead of having, you know, we live in an apartment complex. So, like, instead of having, like, a paper route that a normal kid would have that might have whatever, 20, 30, 40 homes or something, she made us go to every single apartment, you know, and, and sell those people newspapers. So, like, you know, I had a paper route with over 800 papers. We, you know, we would deliver phone books. And... Interesting thing that, uh, you know, my kids do, your kids probably do, and everyone's kids do, is, you know, selling candy bars, you know, to raise money for the school. Well, I I can't say for sure, but I think my mother may have invented it because, you know, when I'm six and seven years old, she would go to the grocery store, buy a huge bag of candy bars, and, of course, we were all excited because we thought we were going to get to chow down on these candy bars. But, no, she made us go door-to-door door and sell these things. Yeah, so we're selling candy bars door-to-door door for a dollar. So just like everything uh, that we could possibly sell as kids growing up, she made us do. Now, now again, like, we didn't know that it wasn't normal. So, like, right. that whole whole process kind of just took me all the way up to and through my adult life, and even to like when I started in real estate, um, I actually started at Remax, and I don't know how it works anymore because that was close to 20 years ago. But at the time, you know, I had to pay $2,000 a month, and uh, you know, I was on a 100% commission. But I had already had a remodeling business, and I really only got my real estate license because I had been through other agents and I decided, you know what, nobody really has the same vested interest as, as I do uh, in, in what I'm trying to accomplish, so why don't I just get my real estate license so I can have better access to the MLS? And, and I think that's why a lot of contractors get their real estate license. Well, I think many times it's why agents sometimes get their license. I know um, several people I've talked to, you know, they bought or sold a home through an agent. Like, well, that was easy. They, they, you know, they think the agent didn't have to work that hard, and they just made a bunch of money. So that's why they go get their license. They're like, well, if they can do it, I can do it, right? Exactly. And so, you know, I, 
interviewed with a few companies, you know, Coldwell Banker and Century 21 and, and Independence and my marketplace, and most of them were all 50-50. I think they were actually all 50-50 at the time. And then I went to Remax, and they were 100%. You know, so even though they had the $2,000 a month fee, you know, I'm doing the math quickly in my head, and I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, that's fine because, you know, I know how to sell stuff, and so I'll end up making more money that way. I also made some assumptions because when I – interviewed with the other places, they told me about their training programs and stuff, so I don't even think I asked the, the Remax guy. And nothing against him, he was a great guy, but I, he might have saw me coming a little bit. I might have been a little too eager. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, after a few days, I, I said, that, hey, Ed, uh, when, does, when does my training start? And he says, well, what do you mean? Well, like, you're supposed to know what you're doing already when you come to Remax. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, I thought because you guys were the biggest and the best, you had the best training. you, you got to give me something. I know how to sell stuff, but I don't have any real estate sales experience. So he went, like, into the, into the vault or the archive or whatever you want to call it, and he pulls out, like, this Mike Ferry tape from, like, 1980. And, like, it wasn't even VHS. It was, like, Betamax or something. Uh, so, so, yeah, you know, he says, uh, "Yeah, just take this home Lobby and watch is. it. You know, yeah, watch it and just do whatever Mike says." And so, again, because of my upbringing, I'm like, "Okay, well, I guess that's what you do." So, so I watched it, and there was actually something on there that you know, yeah, he had the cold calling, the door knocking, but he also was teaching people. If if you happen to be in a city that's got, you know, a, a decent intersection by your office, go out, just go right out in the street and knock on people's car windows. <laughs> oh, my. So, so like, I, I'm i like, well, I guess that's what you're supposed to do. So, I mean, I, I did it all. I knocked on car windows. You know, I cold called. I door knocked. Uh, in the process, of course, I got called every name, you know, in the book. Uh <laughs> But it was fine because, you know, it taught me objection handling. It, it, it gave me a thick skin. It, 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 the biggest thing I probably learned about it, and I think this is really a point of distinction for listeners, is that sometimes people are might be mean to you or whatever, but they don't really mean it. It's not personal. It's just like maybe they had a bad day, whatever the case may be, and, and you are bugging them, of course. You're in their space, and you're invading their privacy. But it's really not personal, so don't take it personal. Right. And, you know, I think that's the biggest thing that, like, agents are afraid to call expired, to call for sale by owners, to call their sphere of influence for fear of people are going to be mad at them. And it's like they might be mad at you for 10 seconds while they call you, and then and then you can, you know, well, while you call them, you can hang up, right, and then call somebody else. But you don't have to take it personal because they sure aren't. They're not letting it ruin the rest of their day. They just wanted to get off the phone. Well, it's that whole fear of rejection thing for for real estate agents, don't you think? It's absolutely the fear of rejection. And um, I posted a video earlier today on my site and because I saw something on Facebook that Anthony Hopkins actually – uh, wrote a symphony. I didn't. I never knew this, but apparently Anthony Hopkins is a, an amazing musician and composer, and he he wrote a symphony 50 years ago. But because of the fear of rejection, he never allowed that symphony into the public life. Never allowed it to be played because he he just didn't oh, wow. believe in himself, even though he's one of the most talented and gifted actors in in the world and Academy Awards and everything. So so even someone at that level still has limiting beliefs in this fear of rejection. So so finally, you know, he allowed this symphony to be played and it was like masterful. Like, you know, on on the level of Beethoven or Mozart or, you know, you know, I don't know who's into that music anymore these days, but it is beautiful. And uh just when I saw that, I was like, you know, it really hit home to me. It was like, wow. You know, so it's like really everybody has limiting beliefs. We're, we're, we tend to let fear hold us back a little too much, and, and almost always 
No, I would say actually always. If we just push through that fear, we'll find out that we really had nothing to be afraid of at all. You know, it's just like well, John Kennedy you. said so long ago, we have nothing to fear but fear itself. Absolutely. I, 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 and I think that I'm sure you've experienced this as I know that I have, is that if you can push through that and get to the other side, it's so amazing on the other side most of the time. Like you're able to accomplish things and do things that you never really thought possible if you can just push through that. Absolutely. So one big question that I get from people is, okay, I figured out how to go out and get leads. I get somebody on the phone, but the conversion process seems to be a big hang-up. And I've had this question actually asked a few times in this last week. So I know that you're a master at this. And, and so the conversion, getting people – well, let's start with this. A buyer calls on a sign, and obviously the ultimate goal is to get them to meet with you so you can do your buyer presentation. So – what would that look like? Like, what are some examples of what you do in some of your programs to help people with that conversion, that conversion rate? Well, the absolute first thing that we always have to conquer with people is their mindset and their thought process. You know, what we've already covered today. And then the next thing is just knowing that, like, it's not complicated. And the more we try to complicate things, the that's actually what creates the fear. So so we don't want to hesitate. We want to jump right into it. I mean, converting buyers is, like, so easy. It's, it's like, crazy. You know, when, when they call on a house, you know, uh, we usually jump right into just answering questions about that house, and then the people hang up. But just something as simple as saying, uh, you know what, Marguerite, you know, thanks so much for calling about that house. I just have a quick question. Are you only interested in this house, or would you possibly be interested in any home in the area that might be a fantastic value? And then, of course, they're, gonna, they're not going to say no to that. They're going to say, well, yeah, well, if anything that's a fantastic value or a great deal or whatever, I'd be interested in. But when you just go into answering the questions about the specific home they called on, I want, you're giving them exactly what they want, and that's kind of a problem. So we need to open their curiosity and build their curiosity. And then after that, we can go ahead and answer the questions about that house. But if they're curious about those other homes that we have that they don't know about, and they certainly don't know about all the homes, you know, then they tend to be a little bit more open to either A, working with us, or B, being honest about whether they're working with another agent or not, which to me has equal value. Like, whether you're going to work with me or you're already loyal to someone else, either way is fine because I, I don't want to build my list, build my pipeline with a whole bunch of people that really are never going to be loyal to me because that's a waste exactly. of time. So, you know, I really try to cut through all the mess and make sure that whoever I'm focused on is also focused on me and 100% loyal to me. Well, and one of the mistakes that I see is that in, in listening in with agents, you know, over the years, is the agent seems to be in as big of a hurry to get off the phone as the client is, right? Like, like they're uncomfortable in that conversation, and so they don't really spend the time to – it's like they just want to hurry up and answer the questions of the consumer as opposed to kind of digging into the other stuff. Do you see that happening much? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the number one thing that I hear from agents, and I think all industry coaches would probably agree, is that, you know, agents say, well, I, I don't know what to say. How do I handle this objection? How do I open a conversation? How do I close a conversation? Um, they don't realize that, first of all, they've been preparing for this their entire life. Ever since they learned how to talk, we've been having conversations. And whether whether it's a buyer or a seller, what's the difference? You know, like like we have these industry industry scripts, and, you know, mine might be a little bit different than Mike's or, or Tom's or Craig's or – you know, John's or, or, or Marguerite's or whoever, 
but those are just a script is really like a matrix. It's like a ladder. It's the way that you're going to get to where you're going. But certainly, it doesn't mean that that those are the only things that you can talk about. You know, people want to go off script, and that's when uh, buyers, agents, and sellers, agents, people who want listings, get uncomfortable because they've practiced these practiced these scripts so much, and they forget to be people. They, so they they're just robotic. And they're they're locked into these scripts, and, and it's like they, you know, so it's like it's like just be comfortable, because this is the people business, and the the number one thing that we all need to do is be personable, you know, like one of my goals when talking to people, like talking to you today, is, is to make my new best friend, you know, it's like every every person that we meet, we're deciding do we want to have a relationship with this person or not. And it's not that we're trying to sell them something, but agents get so locked into, and sometimes because of money, like, hey, they might be broke and they might be hungry, or maybe they're just new and hungry, or whatever the case may be, they tend to get a little too hungry, and they're 100% focused on what they need, rather than being focused on what the potential client needs, and to really helping them get what they want. And so they focus too much on themselves, and then the, the, the prospect puts a wall up, and then it just creates a whole uncomfortable situation, and they want to get off the phone or away from the door or uh, end the appointment without asking for the order, whatever the case may be. So did correct me if I'm wrong, but what I hear you saying is I think that people need to spend more time trying to get to know somebody, almost kind of like, like dating, right? Like you're trying to get to know them a little bit to see if it's a good fit. If you're a good fit for that client and and that client is a good fit for you. But the mistake a lot of people make is they're so focused on answering the questions and getting the information and, you know, closing that sale that they're not necessarily taking the time to get to know what's really important. Is that what you're saying? That's what it sounded like to me. Absolutely. You know, you, you have to keep your objective in mind. Your objective is, it, it, and it's not to list the house. It's not to sell the house. It's to help those people solve their problem. And, and selling them a home or selling their home that causes you to earn a commission is a bonus of that process. But it, it's really about us helping them solve their problem. And, and I, I love the analogy that you used about dating because I, I use it too in my training because it really is exactly like that. I mean, it's you have to have rapport. You have to like someone. I mean, if you're the best agent in the world and nobody likes you, you you're going to starve to death. So right. like, <laughs> but on the other hand, you could be just horrible, have no experience at all, but super likable, and as long as you get in front of people, you're going to do some business. So, you know, we all we have to have these skills, but we also, you know, it's a people business. So we we have to make friends. And that doesn't mean that you're going to go out and party with them, right? But but they need to like you probably on a little bit more of a level than what we might call a Facebook friend. You know, it's like got almost 5,000 friends, but, like, do we really know any of those people? No. It's like, well, we're going to have a relationship with people on buying or selling a home. It's got to be a little bit more intimate than that. And and it's not, you know, like, it's certainly going to be above the level of buying a car or anything else retail because we're going to be spending, in most cases, a minimum of, like, 90 days with these people. And a lot of times it's a year before – you know, first they call us, then, then we're in the courting process, now we get the listing, now it's on the market, then we have to close it, then we have to close their, their buy. Or, I mean, sometimes that's a year-long process. So uh, not only do they have to like us, we have to like them. And that's the next mistake that most agents make is really being so hungry for business that they work with people that are difficult, people that don't want to do things the way they want to do it, and you know, people that just really should be someone else's customer. <laughs> so firing a client is is actually uh, 
so um, freeing. I've been through that a few times where I've had to fire a client, but it's definitely, I think many agents think, well, they're just going to have to put up with it because they need the money, right? Exactly, and it, it puts you in a place of low value. Because we're already a commodity as far as the uh, public is concerned, right? We're all the same. It doesn't matter. Uh, so in the agents actually have sort of assimilated that into their own way of thinking. Uh, but, like, I can think totally differently. If you want to work with me, it doesn't matter if you're a buyer or a seller, or if you're a coaching client or even someone else in another industry that I might be building a marketing pitch for, like you have to apply to work for me. You know, like I get Facebook messages every day. You know, well, how much uh, does your coaching cost or whatever? And and, and my response is, uh, you know, send a private message to my executive assistant and she'll get back to you with the process and you can fill out an application and we'll see if we're a good fit. And, you know, that really just sets us apart that, you know, we value ourselves. And that's the problem most agents have. They don't value themselves. So so why should their potential customers, clients, value them? They're not going to. Well, you know, it, it's interesting that you talk about that because um, I've heard a lot of talk, you know, and I've seen it a lot, and I, I know we're in a mutual Facebook group, um, Lab Coats. And I've seen people talking about, you know, is Zillow going to be a real estate company? And, you know, I've heard the words used, Uber Realty, and a number of those things. And and, and what's funny is agents are like, oh, no, 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 that'll never happen. But let me tell you an experience I had just the other day. I flew into Long Beach, flew on JetBlue, mm-hmm. who has been an awesome airline, by the way. Um, flew into Long Beach, and when I got there, I was waiting for my ride to come pick me up, and and I was talking to the um, the you know the guys who move the baggage and stuff, the baggage guys, and he said, oh, he goes, are you waiting for an Uber ride? And I said, I said no, why? And he goes, well, they're not allowed on the airport grounds. And I said, well, why is that? He goes, well, the taxi union has you know fought this whole thing with Uber, so. If you have an Uber person picking you up, you have to walk the 100, 100 feet or whatever to the edge of the thing where Uber can pick you up. And I said, what are your thoughts on that? He goes, he goes I think that service is going to override uh, override the taxis at some point, and they won't have a choice. Yeah. And it got me thinking a little bit about the real estate industry because – we are a service-based business similar to taxi drivers, right? And Uber has come along and made it faster, simpler, easier, cleaner, smell better, nicer. <laughs> you know? they, they've really kind of come along and, and, and disrupted the industry, so to speak. Well, I think if a business is built the way that you're describing, where it's really strongly on relationships and adding value – then we're not going to have competition like that. But if people are continuing to limit their work when it comes to the process, yeah, we're it's definitely a potential threat, don't you think? I think it's um, – I don't know if I think of it as a threat. If I was NAR, if I was the National Association of Realtors, I'd be thinking it's a massive threat. Uh, but, you know – I think of myself as an independent, as being independent from NAR. Yes, I belong to them, but if they dissolve, I'm still going to be a real estate professional. So right. I, I do see Zillow as a really a change agent, and I know they say that they're not going to get into the real estate business, and, and who knows whether that's true or not. They may actually believe that right now, and they may change their mind in the future. But I think it's inevitable that they do get into the real estate business because the fact of the matter is, and, and although I, I actually don't subscribe to Zillow currently, and that's mostly because I have plenty of business, but you know the, the stats, the Google rankings, all that 
proves one thing, and that's that the public has already decided they like the, the Zillow site better than the realtor site. You know, they're ranked the number one site. They have the most traffic because the public is going there the most. And I think the reason they're going there the most is because it's easier to use. It makes more sense. And if anyone's watching the Realtor.com site, you would have noticed over the last few months, they completely revamped their site and totally copied the Zillow site. So even right. even the National Association of Realtors has decided that, you know, Zillow has the better mousetrap, and now they're trying to sort of backdoor the situation. And, hey, all I can say is, you know, may the best model win, uh, you know, because – you know, NAR doesn't do a lot for me personally, and maybe not for most realtors. And and hey, was I was on the board, um, and and I think it's uh, made up of a lot of great people with great intentions, but uh, maybe similar to the Congress of the United States, uh, maybe it's run by people who don't do business, and so they don't know how to run it like one. You know, and when then they sold out the roofers and all this other stuff, so. That could well, get us on a whole other podcast. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah, we might have to do a, a part two of this conversation because not at all where I thought it was going to go, but I'm super fascinated by it. Um, I, I, I will tell you, to me, what it is, is it's a big red flag that as an industry we need to raise the bar, right? Like we yeah, need to be providing extraordinary service, really taking great care of people, finding, you know, better ways to to do our own internal processes and systems to make it smoother. Like one thing that makes me crazy, I've been in real estate 23 years, and you've been about the same, I think. And, like, why does it still take 45, 30 to 45 days to close a loan? Like, I could go down today and buy a Tesla, right, $110,000 car. I could walk in there be in and out of the dealership with a a product that moves <laughs> that I could hide. Right? Yeah. I could literally finance it, be in and out of there in an hour with a car that's worth in some markets the same amount, if not more, as a house. But yep. to buy a home takes thirty to forty five days and it's a there's so many people involved and it's such a stressful process for the consumer, I just don't understand that. And I think that that truly is what will be, that's where the shift will happen, in my opinion. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. And, you know, the most recent delays we can, you know, over the last eight years or whatever it's been, we can we can thank Dodd-Frank for all the unintended consequences um, you know, people who who really know know that like that is one of the worst things that's ever happened. Um, yeah. It caused a lot, a lot, a lot of problems. Uh, you know, but like they have good intentions. You know, so you know what can you do? But it just comes down to the you know the people writing these laws don't have the experience in the business. So that's what we get. And I think well, you're has definitely right. Problem. And you know, and. In going back to our original conversation and in the conversations that you have with your clients, like those conversations need to be more detailed and and deeper conversations where you're truly able to put your best foot forward and really help the clients. Don't you agree? Yeah, I mean the details are even so much deeper than most of us think. I mean we have to take it down to such a minuscule detail that like it really even breaks the detail into a whole nother expansion of the detail so that that buyer, that seller can absolutely understand and not, not just say, Oh yeah, I get it. And then after you leave, they're like scratching their head, having no idea what you're talking about. We, we have a duty to make sure that they a hundred percent understand what it is we're talking about. And when we can do that, then we end up becoming the only logical choice because, see, that's where the industry is really going. And that's what I like about what Zillow is doing uh, to the industry is because it's helping to raise the bar so that we have to present our value. No longer is the reason to list your home 
because I can put it in the MLS. Because exactly. the fact of the matter is that has a lot less value today. I have even tested it. Uh, I've had properties that we put out on uh, Zillow. Actually, they recently uh, got rid of postlets, and I'm, I'm curious to know what they're going to do to replace it. But but I've put properties into postlets and then syndicated through all the same sites as my MLS does and sold homes faster than I did through the MLS. And it was easier for me to put the listing in and maintain it, that listing. And, and it had more reach to more buyers faster. I can't answer why that is, and I, I don't, I'm not even interested in figuring out why. All I know is it worked better. And so when that's the case, the next step is then the public realizes, well, wait, I can put it in there too. So, so why should I hire you? I know how to take pictures. I know how to type or, you know, or even if I don't want to do that, I can hire a photographer for a couple hundred dollars or, or hire a copywriter for a couple hundred dollars. For four or five hundred dollars, I have a magnificent listing. What do I need you, Mr. Realtor, for? It's, it's not for that piece of the puzzle anymore. It has to be for our service, for our knowledge, our expertise, and, and most of all, probably our negotiation ability. The ability to extract more equity for our sellers than anyone else can. The ability to get a better price for our buyers than anyone else can. And in, until we as uh, an industry realize that, it's going to keep on shifting, and, and I actually welcome the shift because I, I'm sure you and probably most people that are actually motivated enough to listen would probably agree that 90% of the agents, like if we if they just disappeared, uh, the 10% that are left could more than handle the business, and those are the 10% that actually the public should be working with. Like I actually have another belief that, you know, uh, the uh, – Antitrust laws, in some ways, hurt our industry because right. let's say let's say the government said, you know what, real estate commission is six percent. Obviously, me and you can't agree on that, but if they said real estate commission is six percent, all of a sudden the the public would make darn sure that they got the absolute best person for the job. But because you know one percent can be a lot of money in many cases, they tend to want to go for the low hanging fruit the lowest bidder, and that's like almost always in business or life, the cheapest option is actually the most expensive option because you're probably going to have to do it again. So, well, and Walmart has, has taught it in the fact that there can only be one low-priced leader. So, you know, there's always going to be somebody who's scraping the bottom, but there's plenty of opportunity for, you know, like Kohl's and, uh, you know, Nordstrom's and, you know, all these different, you know, Macy's and Penny's. Yeah. There's plenty of room for that, but there can only be that one low-cost leader, and, and if that's who you want to be, you're going to always struggle. Exactly. You know, it's funny that you said about um, when you we were talking about Zillow, I got an email a few days ago because I had gone on some point and looked up my own home, right, like everybody does. And I got an email where they're now targeting consumers direct to say, claim your house. And they're encouraging you to go claim your home, enter all your details about your home, enter the upgrades, the, you know, all the, the, the great stuff about your home, and claim your house on Zillow. <laughs> so I can guarantee they're doing something with that. I didn't know about postlets, though. I didn't know they stopped postlets. When did that happen? It must have been pretty recently uh, because I noticed that it's gone. If you go to postlets.com, it's gone and it's pointed to Zillow. Uh, so they huh. just bought yeah, it. Yeah, that must have just happened the last few days because we just did something, I think, last week. Posted yeah, on Postlets, so. Yeah, me too. Um, so, yeah, you know, who knows where they're going with it. But it, it's interesting because that, that last thing about claiming your home uh that's exactly what I would do if I were Zillow and I wanted to yeah. turn the list. Uh, you know, the money's all in the list. And then from there, right. they start building loyalty. And then the next step from there is, hey, we've we got a real estate license. And, and I've said this 
a hundred times and I've never had anyone answer no to this question. So my question is, if uh, Zillow or any other similar player send out a mass email to every single realtor in the country and said, you know what, we have a national MLS, we have virtually the same code of ethics and everything else, our system works better, it's easier to maintain, less headaches, but it's only cost you $20 a month. How long would it take for NAR to be just devastated? I mean, I, I think that the vast majority of realtors would cancel the membership instantly and just go over there. Because yeah, I would agree you know, with you. Most realtors only are really they're only in NAR because. And look, this they is not to. a bash on NAR. This is not a bash on NAR. It's a great organization, but what you know, we we're in a day and age where you have to give me value. And, and I can't articulate what NAR does for me besides the fact that the only way I can get into my MLS is if I'm a member. It's actually mandatory. I'm forced to do it. Uh, you know, so give me more value than that, and I'll be totally happy. But right now, that's all I get. And when I well, look on you know, there, go ahead. It, 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 it's, it's fascinating to me because let's even take it Let's even take it to the real estate agent. Now, again, we've been in real estate for a while. So when I first got into real estate, literally we didn't have cell phones yet that then, and the MLS had just literally gone on to computers. It, it, we, it had gone from the books to the computers. And our contracts, you know, were only four pages, and, you, and everything had to be handwritten, you know, everything had to be original signatures. Well, now let's fast forward to today. Literally, somebody can be texting with a client. Maybe they go show them the house. Maybe they don't show them the house. They write the offer on WinForm. They email it via DocuSign. They forward it to a transaction coordinator. The transaction coordinator handles all the disclosures, which all get sent, again, via DocuSign, so no physical contact. Um, and truth be told, most agents are not attending inspections, and 90% of the agents don't attend the signing. Right. I've even heard of an agent putting the keys under the mat and for the consumer to go get the house. So now if you don't tell me that that process cannot be taken over pretty simply by someone with better communication skills or, you know, a, a targeted email email campaign to explain the process, like, we got to step it up. <laughs> yeah, and I think, I think that, we, like you mentioned before about Uber, that there's already players out there, and I don't know who they are, that really do have their sights set on Uberizing the real estate industry, and it's 100% possible to do. Actually, a friend of mine, uh, J.P. Piscinini, and down in Dallas, he just created an app. It's called Quick Show. That and he's testing it in the Dallas market. So just how 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 agents, you know, they do BPOs and stuff for fifty bucks or whatever. So he mm -hmm. thought, well, what if I created an app for listing agents that are very busy, but somebody wants to see a house right now, and then buyers agents or 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 any agent who doesn't have that much work can agree to go show a house for 20 bucks or 30 bucks or whatever the case may be, and it's all handled through an app just like Uber. So so someone might go to a house, and, and uh, they say, I want to see this house. It, it goes through the app, and then the first agent that responds can go show them and, and get 20 bucks or whatever, but they, they don't have a relationship. They're not allowed to have a relationship with the, uh, the buyer. The buyer has to do it through the listing agent. And wow. So people are already doing that, and agents are and wasn't, eating it up. Wasn't there another one that somebody posted? I think in lab coats, it was a ten minute, ten minute agent or something. I thought I, I thought I saw that, but I, I just think that it, the the truth is, is if you go back old school, like a lot of the stuff that you teach, Bill, and I teach, and the the truth is, if you take those relationships and you build them and deepen them then I don't feel like that is a threat to me. 
because that's not the way I do business. But if you are not stepping up your game, if you're not showing up, if you're not creating and deepening those relationships, then why would they bother going through you when they can go have somebody in 10 minutes show them out? Exactly. If you're not a commodity, if people really value your worth, what you bring to the transaction, then you've got nothing to worry about. And, you know, if you are a commodity, one of those people that really isn't bringing anything to the table, you know, chances are you're you're either going to end up being one of these people that's just working for 50 bucks here and there, or you're going to be out of the business. And, yeah. you know, I actually welcome that. I, I, it would be great once our industry uh, gets to that point. Uh, and there's an easy way to fix it. Twelve years ago when I was on the board and we had our strategy meetings, way back then, I, you know, when they, they asked what what can we do to make the industry better, to keep things, uh, to maintain control. And back then I said, that's simple. Stop syndicating everything. Take it off the internet and go back to the book. You know, yeah. like, see, it's never going to happen. But you know what would happen? <laughs> what would happen if all of a sudden only a realtor could get listings through their MLS from the convenience of their home, that everyone else had to get the book? Tomorrow morning there would be lines at every real estate office in the country of people who wanted information. And I, why can't they see that? So the, to maybe not make it so dramatic, they have the power to do the same thing and just, you know, cut people like Zillow off. But they say, oh, well, that's an antitrust. No, it isn't. That's not restriction exactly. trade. It just isn't. But they're afraid of it. I really don't think they're afraid of it. I think that there's too much money involved. Right. For them, for them to want to take control of it, because so, somebody's getting paid. It's not me, and it's not you, but someone is getting rich off of Realtor.com and all the syndication stuff. I don't know who it is, but well, of course. I mean, they take they take our they get our listing for free. I think I don't know how they get it. To be honest with you, they got something. They get our listing for free, then they turn around and sell it back to us, and sell it not yeah. only to us but to two other agents. Like somebody's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's like, you know, everyone complains on these groups about Zillow, but, like, I don't have a problem with Zillow at all. I think they're geniuses, you know, yeah. in the same way that I think Tom Perry's a genius because, like, he doesn't hide the fact that he's never held a license and never sold a house, but somehow NAR has decided that he's the best real estate coach in the world. Now, that takes some level of genius to pull that off. Right. Because I, I've never done brain surgery, but if I could somehow convince the American Doctors Association that, like, you know, I'm the best brain surgeon coach in the world, like, obviously that would mean I was a genius too. So it's like I don't knock these guys for having success. You know, I think what Zillow right. is doing is great. I just think that if I, if I was the one in charge of that information, they wouldn't have access to it. Not not be, Not because it's vindictive or not, but because, you know, we own it. It's our data. We as realtors went out there and we farmed and we fought to get all that information. And then these guys are getting, you know, it's like kind of ridiculous. They're they're billionaires off of our hard work. That doesn't mean they didn't do hard work. They they did hard work. They found a loophole in the system. They exploited it. And congratulations. But, uh, you know, NAR needs to kind of step it up a little bit and uh, take control of things and, uh, you know, make the situation better not only for consumers but for um, the, the people who pay the dues. Absolutely. And unfortunately, if you, even if you look on their site and if you read the mission statement, it actually has absolutely nothing to do with realtors. You know, like it, it's, it's great, it's uh, noble that they're, you know, that NAR is dedicated to helping the public and all this, but when you look at, uh, uh, Zillow's mission statement, their mission statement is to become the number one uh, marketplace for real estate in the world. So, like, that's the difference. NAR wants to get into lobbying for different rules to help homeowners, but don't appreciate it anyways. And exactly. Zillow just wants to help people buy houses. So, of course, it's working better. You bring up some really valid points. That's funny. 
Well, you know, I think uh, a couple of things. I think this all ties into really kind of where we started this is that obviously uh, the entrepreneurial spirit can can change things dramatically. But the other point is is that when you really take those relationships and build them and deepen them and develop them like you should, then none of this stuff is a threat. And I know you teach some great stuff about this, um, not only in your books, but in your coaching programs, Bill. And we'll be sure to post links on the podcast on how people can get a hold of you. Is there anything else you'd like to say before we wrap up today? I know we kind of rambled on a bit. <laughs> but that was a great. We're going to have to do podcast. We're going to have to do part two because that was actually a really fascinating conversation. I know we could talk for hours about that stuff. Yeah, I know. Yeah, is there something more I want to say? Absolutely. And, and I think we could probably go on for days. But uh, in, in interest of boring people, maybe we should cut it off and, and we'll go part two, maybe three, four, five. Who knows? But um, there you go. Yeah. You know, if if anyone's just interested in me, they can find me on Facebook under Bill Crane. Uh, they can go to my personal page at RealtorRescue.com. They can go to my uh, my personal uh, site, which is Proven to Profit. They can get there at either ProvenToProfit.com or BillCrane.com. Both will go to the same place. Be happy to uh, answer people's questions. And I'll have uh, free gifts and trainings that are available uh, there as well because, you know, I, I mean, I come from contribution. You know, we can't do everything for free, but, like, there's certain things that we can do to, to help people get to the point where they can actually hire, you know, myself or Marguerite or Tom Ferry or Craig Proctor or whoever resonates with you. I always say the, the best coach in the world and people are always asking this on these groups, who's the best coach? Well, the best coach is the person that you resonate with, the person that you're going to embrace, the person that you're going to actually embrace them and do what it is they're teaching you to do. And the worst coach in the world is going to be the opposite of that. So it's like everybody's stuff works as long as you like it, enjoy it, and will implement it. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much for joining us today, Bill, Bill Crane. He is awesome. And please be sure and go and share this with the people that you know. If you enjoyed it, share with all your social media. And be sure to comment on the blog. I would love to hear your feedback on this one. This was, this was good stuff today. So be sure to post your comments over on the blog, and we will both respond to them. So thank you for joining us on the Real Estate Real World. Go out and make it a great day. <laughs>